0: Well, thank you, choir. That song fits perfectly into our theme, doesn't it? Uh, Christ, you're all to us. And uh, we're studying in Philippians chapter 3. If you'll join me there, please. Philippians chapter 3. More Christ. More Christ. Aiming at at your heart here. Last week we were in verse number 2. Beware of the dogs, and I thought, just to be fair, today is beware of the cats. <laughs> no, we can't do that, can we? Actually, I didn't quite get through all my notes last week, and so I had time to work on it and add six more pages. So, there they all are. It's quite a pile. But uh, there were some things I wanted to share with you. The reason I, I think, well, I could just move right past and get into the study. But honestly, folks, verse number two is essential to the study. Sometimes we think that the heart of the study sometimes is, is in the positive side of, of all these things that Paul talks about that excite us and instill with us you know, inspiration to be more like Christ, be more like Christ. And that is true. A lot of the chapter is centered on that. Um, we like that purpose. We like that because it, it's upbeat and it's, it's the kind of thing that you do at halftime when your team needs it uh, to encourage them to get out there and go for it and, and uh, pursue more of Christ and more of Christ and more of Christ to have his mentality and to, to follow that activity that Paul sets before us. Really, more than anything, I want all of us to have that that desire for more Christ. Where he is so dominant in our life and in our ministry that everything compared to Christ is rubbish. And that's what Paul says in chapter number 3. Now, that perspective is not unattainable. Just so you know. This isn't just something that only Apostle Pauls can do. Uh, That's not why. I mean, the Lord put this in Scripture for our reason. For us to grow from this. And uh, we have to set our focus on this. But chapter 3, verse 2 is very vital to the whole thing. And I'm going to show you why. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, I know that's Philippians here, but Colossians is just before this book, or after this book, Philippians, Colossians. After this book, just turn about three pages maybe. Colossians 3, verse 1 tells about the things that a believer must do, if really they're going to have a focus on Christ, they need to do these two things. Chapter 3, verse 1 and 3, verse 2. In Colossians, mind you. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, let's stop right there. It's since you have been raised up with Christ. uh, That means I'm arguing from a position that you already have. So this isn't some thing that you have to go figure out how to get this started. You already have Christ, don't you? Okay. So we're starting from that position. Understand that. So nobody in this room who knows Christ as Savior can say, I can't get there. That's for other people, not for me. Because it starts with, you've been raised up with Christ. That's very important. Keep seeking things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind On the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. You have been raised up with Christ. That's an indicator that you are a true believer in Christ. You are raised up with him. Everyone who has been saved by Jesus Christ, has been alive in Jesus Christ, has been raised up with Jesus Christ, actually are already seated in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us so. That's pretty incredible to think through, isn't it? You're already seated in the heavenlies. Now, you say, but that doesn't feel this way in the pew right now. Matter of fact, during the last song, I got a splinter in my finger from the pew. It's right there. Is Is this workman's calm stuff? It just might mess up my whole sermon. But, I mean, that's not heaven, is it? You got a splinter from it? In Christ, you are there. That's what I love about that truth is the fact that He is not going to have your seat empty someday. When we all go to heaven, we'll be there because there's name tags. I I use it this way. There are name tags with your seat's there. You're going to be there. Isn't that encouraging to know? I love it. I love that truth. It encourages me all the time to realize I've already been raised up and seated in the heavenlies because of Christ Jesus. And so... Everything that follows a phrase that starts like chapter 3, verse 1 here, is possible. Understand that. Because Christ rose from the dead, right? Yes. Everything based on the resurrection is possible. And so don't look at it like, well, it might not be. This is reality, folks. This is the way it should be. We should be seeking the things above. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, Keep on, keep on, keep on. You get the flavor of that because you've heard it a lot from me. That is, yes, a present tense command. Keep on seeking things above. Keep doing it. Matter of fact, being a command, it's, it's expected of you. If you're not doing it, you're not being obedient to this verse. Keep seeking the things above. That's where we set our minds. Notice what it says here. Where Christ is. Verse number two. Set your minds On the things above. Think about that. Where does your mind spend its week? It should be focused on Christ. Set it, set it, set it. That's a present tense command. Always, always doing this. You know, if we could only keep remembering this, (laughs) that would change your week, won't it? That would change the way you think about things, won't it? i like to think that verse 1 and 2 here are refrigerator verses. You have a refrigerator place, pop a verse on there so you see it, or maybe you need it on the dashboard of the car, or bathroom mirror, that works too. But these are the verses that we're constantly supposed to be doing. And people say, well, how do I do that, Pastor? How does that look? Well, I kind of illustrate it this way, and I've done this before, but uh, back in my early 20s, I had a, 64 Chevy Bel Air. Love that car. Nice car. It had an AM radio in it. You know what AM was? AM? Long time ago. We had AM radios. And to set a radio station, you had to dial. And you had to go all the way up and down that dial and make sure you found it. And sometimes it's fuzzy and all that. But you finally get it. And then on below, there were four buttons. You pull the button out and shove it back in. You guys remember that? You just got chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. Seek Christ, set it. I like those. Those go well together in my thinking. But this is what we're supposed to be doing. Doing it. Doing it. Now, you're saying that's the Apostle Paul again. You know how he is. Uh, Yes, he does. He wrote this book just like he wrote Philippians. He's always admonishing us, and this is common for him. But why does he keep saying it? Why does he keep repeating this? Why do you go back to Philippians here, just a couple pages back, and see that's what he's really talking about again. Christ. Seeking out Christ. Setting your mind on Christ. Turning your mind that way. Your ambition. Your efforts. Your very life in a pursuit of Christ. Why does he keep saying that? That he should be the most dominant part of your being. Why does he keep saying that? Because of verse 2. Because there are those who will stop you from that. There are detriments in the way. There are dangers along the way to prevent you from having a desire for Christ. Welcome to the world. That's the world we live in. Paul wrote this letter. And as Paul's writing this, There are certain relationships going on. And we talked about history last time together, about where he's been and and his missionary journeys and all that. And you already know that Paul's writing this under the time he's under arrest. He's in Rome. He's waiting out his trial. um, And as he's waiting out that trial, he has certain co-workers with him. You always read about them in the last two or three verses, don't you? So and so says hi, and all these other things. Uh, these were co workers that were with the Apostle Paul. And though he couldn't minister and go here and there and there because of his limitations being under arrest, he could send out his co workers to go here, there, and there. And he had to trust them explicitly to, to do the ministry the right way. And Paul trained them, taught them, gave them the words, they carried the letters. To Philippi, they carried the letters to Colossae, different things that they played in that job. But there were certain people mentioned at the end of this book that were significant to Paul. Well, not so end. chapter 2. Let's back up just a, a chapter. Philippians two nineteen, He mentions a handful of people who are like that in ministry. And he says in verse 19... But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. We've seen that name a lot. Matter of fact, there's two books written about Timothy. Uh, those were Paul's letters to him. Uh, so that I may also encourage, be encouraged what I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit who would generally be concerned about your welfare. So here's Paul's testimony about Timothy, a man of kindred spirit. Because if you look in verse 21... The rest seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Now jump to verse 25. Second individual. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and minister to my need. Because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick to the point of death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him also, not on him only, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Apparently Epaphroditus was so sacrificial in his ministry that he became ill. That's what most commentators think it might have been. But this is the kind of guy that Paul calls a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow Soldier. He's in the fight. Just like Paul was in the fight. These were Paul's kindred spirits, co workers and hard workers at that. But not everybody Paul had in his ministry team came up to that same mentality of Christ first. Christ foremost. Let me name two people, and suddenly you're going to think something negatively. One is John Mark. Right? Your thoughts right away? Deserter. How about Demas? He's the guy that loved the world. Two names. Do you know they're both mentioned in Colossians Colossians as being with Paul in Rome at this time? As Paul's writing the book of Philippians, John Mark is there, and Demas is there. What do we learn about these two? Well, John Mark, we know originally he went out with Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. The book of Acts records this pretty clearly. That Paul went out and he was constantly being hounded by the dogs. It was tough ministry there. The false teaching Judaizers were there. They incited crowds. They started riots. They had Paul stoned. John Mark was there too. And he says, you know what? I don't like this. I'm going home. And he packed his bags and he took off. Because that kind of uh, ministry was not his cup of tea. Paul called him a deserter later in the book. Book of Acts. When Paul was going out on his second missionary journey, Barnabas came up and said, Hey, let's go! Let's take John Mark! And Paul says, No way! Uh Uh-uh! A sharp argument broke out between them. And as it resulted in the split of their team, Paul and Silas went off on the second missionary journey. Barnabas and John Mark went off to another location. You don't hear about much after that, about John Mark, until Paul's in Rome. Paul's here in the jail, under arrest, house arrest, and there in Rome, things have changed. Because even as he's starting to write about this time, Colossians and Philippians were written about the same time, John Mark has grown up in his faith. (laughs) John Mark has been... Trained and is now useful to Paul in ministry. So useful that Paul is sending him to Colossae with the notes so that he could minister to the rest of that church. John Mark was among that uh, group going back there. In Colossians 4.10, it says, Arist- Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, sends you his greeting, and so also Barnabas' cousin Mark, about whom you received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. The fact is, people can change, can't they? And that's beautiful to see. We see a life changed. We have a guy named Demas mentioned as well in Colossians. He's part of Paul's team. He hung out with Paul during some of these prison episodes. He was there in Rome with Paul. He was there with Luke, the beloved physician. And he's sending his greetings in Colossians 4, verse 14, to the Colossian church. Demas says, hi! Right? Demas is there. In the book of Philemon, a little letter to Philemon, Paul lists Demas as a fellow worker. He was useful in the ministry. In Philemon one twenty four, it says, So Mark says hi, John Mark, or Sarkis says hi, Demas says hi, Luke says hi. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, you understand. But they're all sending their greetings. So they're there in ministry with Paul, Demas is too. About four years later, Paul's in prison again. You don't know, but this Roman experience in Philippians, he does get out. He goes back out into ministry. He spends a few years out in ministry. They arrest him again and drag him back to Rome. And so Paul's in prison again, writing a letter to Timothy... Because his days are nearly up, he knows it. And he's writing to Timothy, instruction on leading the church. And in 2 Timothy 4, he mentions Demas again. And he says, Demas loves this world. And he has left. He's deserted us. He's gone to Thessalonica. I set these two before you. John, Mark, and Demas. They're both with the Apostle Paul. Is it likely that they would have seen Paul's love for Christ? His zeal for Christ? They probably heard Paul speak on it. They probably saw it in every part of it, his mentality. It's the way he lived, it's the way he thought, it's the way he sacrificed. Christ was dominant in everything, and they no doubt saw it. And both of those men struggled with it. Both of those men did. One left, only to come back. Another left because the love of the world grew stronger than his love for Christ. Paul, when he wrote, was quite conscious of the fact that even those who start well could easily fall off the course and lose their focus. He knew that was a potential. That's why he writes so often as he does. He saw it in living color before him. How many churches, how many people, they had a love for Christ, or so it appeared. But the things of this world came in and choked it out. The false teachers of this world came up and and swayed them. These kind of things bothered him a great deal. Paul even said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I could read to you a passage. You could follow. It's verse 19 all the way through verse 27. But this is what Paul said. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I might win more. To the Jews I became a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being under the law myself, so that I might win those who are under the law to those who are without law, as without law, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that I, by all means, save some. I do, not, I do all things for the sake of the gospel, so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may win? Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things, and then do it to receive a perishable wreath. But we, an imperishable, therefore I run in such a way as not without aim, I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. This is Paul writing. Was there a danger that he knew him? What do you mean disqualified? He says, that means I didn't pass the test when they tested me. I was rejected. This is the word for unapproved. Unapproved. It's not a salvation verse. Just so you know that. It's not a salvation verse. But it's a close look at ministry and those whose works are approved or disapproved. We're going to stand before the Lord someday. And the question you as a believer is not whether or not you belong in heaven. All right? It's because of Christ you belong in heaven. If you believe in him, you're saved. It's by his blood you are saved, not by your works. Understand that? But you will stand there and have your works evaluated. Are they going to measure up to anything? Are they going to pass the test? Do you want them all to be rejected in the end? And say, well, oh, what a waste of 30, 40, 50 years. That was Paul's concern. He didn't want to do anything that was a waste. He didn't want his life to come down to ashes at the very end, as far as his works were concerned. He saw men like John Mark and Demas. And he saw that when the push is on to know more and more of Christ, how certain things can distract you and drive you away. And he was so worried about that. And I think, folks, if we just watch the newspaper long enough and watch the news, we've seen it too often, haven't we? Men who've been in ministry for many years of their life. Yes, they're prominent people. They're out front. They have big ministries. They do all these things. And yet to watch their ministries go down in flames in the very end because their focus wasn't on Christ anymore, but some other thing or sometimes some other person. That's sad. Doesn't it break your heart just to see those kind of things? We talk about being Christ-like. Having the mind of Christ, as as Paul does here all the way through Philippians chapter 3. An intense focus on Christ, and only Christ, and more Christ. But you cannot proceed very far into it without the warning. That's where verse 2 comes in. That's our warning. Our warning that there are so many things that will seek to prevent you from desiring Christ in this way. So many things. The New Testament epistles are full of these warnings. But let me give you a simple picture. Those people like Jack, you can really appreciate this one, okay? Runners who are serious about running. They work hard in training, don't they? Lots of work. We don't know why you run like that, but you do. You just keep running. You got to eat the right foods. Well, you'll find out that sooner or later. You've you got to discipline the body. You've got to exert all the right efforts in practice so that you could run a good race. For any of you who've run before, you know that story. It takes discipline. My brother last weekend ran a particular race. He was part of a team. They started up on Mount Hood in Oregon and ran to the coast. That's a 200-mile race. As a team, they all took a part of that, and they'd pass it off as they went down the team, and they'd ran. They practiced a lot for that race. That was a long race. But each one took their part in running. Of course, it was all downhill, wasn't it? Coming off a mountain down to the coast. That's what I told her. It sounds easy. Uh, (laughs) But I do know one thing. You don't run if your shoes are made of concrete. Right? That's not a good idea. You don't run with concrete shoes. You know, in Hebrews 12, there's a warning. Hebrews 12, verse 1 Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily detangles us. Detangles, entangles us, not detangles, that'd be different. The sin so easily entangles us. And then it says, and let us run the race that is set before us. Guess where you're fixing your eyes? On Jesus. You see it all over scripture. It pops up again here in Philippians 3 verse 2. In case you're wondering, what is verse 2 all about? It is exactly the encumbrances and the sin which so easily entangles you. It's there waiting to stop you from desiring Christ with all your heart. What is it that we're looking at? What are these dangers? Keep on bewaring of the dogs. Keep on bewaring of the evil workers. Keep on bewaring of the false circumcision. Those are the three that he says. Keep your eyes on them. Don't stop. Bewaring. I love that word, bewaring. I told you before, I had to make that up. I looked it up. They said, that's not the proper use of the word. I said, that's okay. But I like it because it matched my bees. Keep on being joyful. Keep on bewaring. Keep on becoming. Keep on beholding. We're going to get through those other ones too. But these are the four commands in chapter 3 that help us understand and aim for this, this mentality for Christ. This sole focus on Christ. Joyfulness has a part in that. Keep on being joyful. Because in being joyful, he says, in the Lord. That's your focus. You can't just be joyful about anything. But he's talking about in the Lord. In the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Make sure that you're in the Lord. (laughs) The more you're in the Lord, the more joy you're going to find, folks. But that's where he started. We talked about that. Keep on bewaring, constantly, constantly watching for things that can be detriments to you, dangers to you, enemies to you. Keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. Matter of fact, the nature of the command is plan on it. And that's what helps a lot in my in my thinking on this passage. Plan on it. It's so often that we're surprised when there's something in the path. <laughs> Because we didn't plan on it. As the people uh, Peter wrote to in 1 Peter. 1 Peter, they're under an intense persecution. They are under a fiery trial, Peter says. And the congregation is acting like, wow, was this a surprise? He says, it shouldn't be a surprise to you. Don't go on being surprised, is one of his commands there. Because they were acting like, really? I thought the Christian life was easy. It's not, is it? It's challenging. So plan on this. This is my my look at this. Plan on the dogs coming. Plan on the evil workers being there. Plan on the false circumcision coming along. Now, we talked about the dogs quite a bit last week, so I'm just going to scan over that just a little bit. These are not fuzzy, beautiful little critters that you just adore and they sleep in your bed and stuff like that if you do that. Every now and then, I've got a dog for sale at $1. twenty-five. Every now and then. This morning, probably a dollar fifteen. But uh, once in a while, the dog just kind of gets on my nerves. You don't have a dog like that, I'm sure. But uh, this is not the cutesy little dog he's talking about. These are the kind that have loud barks. They show their teeth. They intimidate people because they run about in packs. They are not domesticated. They love to find dead things to eat on or make them dead and eat on them. These are not pleasant animals. Nowhere in Scripture does it ever commend a dog. It's always negative. And the reason is because they were not in the homes. They were out in the streets. They were out in the towns. They were visitors walking up and down town to town. That was something you have to watch for. A pack of dogs was trouble. That was trouble. Paul likened that to the false teachers. Everywhere he went, there was a pack of them that followed him. They used their intimidation to scare people. They had Paul stoned in one town. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? They, they tried their best to destroy his ministry, to scare people away from him. They were like barking wild dogs. And Paul says, plan on it, as he's writing to the Philippians. Plan on it. They're still there. They didn't go away when Paul went into jail. They're still there. They're still there causing that kind of trouble. We called them Judaizers. We use that phrase because they taught a false doctrine. They taught the Old Testament system of salvation is made by works. Follow the law. Follow the law. Follow the law. They're speaking to Gentiles and saying, follow the law. The Gentiles are confused. And Paul's trying to help them. And that's the dogs that followed him about and messed up a lot of churches in their, in their thinking. They got a hold. They got serious hold onto the Galatian church. You read that letter, Paul's like, what happened? <laughs> There's, they, they got in there and they sunk their teeth. So Paul had to minister to those who hurt because of the dogs. He wrote about them so often. But that's what he's talking about here. Beware of them. False doctrine can creep up in a church in the quickest time. You would never expect it. And suddenly it's there. It happens. Sometimes it's because of people who bring it in with them. Sometimes it's the literature. Sometimes it's the programs. Sometimes it's something you've heard on the radio that infiltrates the church. Sometimes those happen. What What is our guard against that? Know the word. That's why we're called a Bible church, right? Know the Word. The more we learn it, the more we understand it, the more we recognize where the dogs are. And we say, oh, no, that can't be true. Oh, no, that can't be true. It's not true because I know what Scripture says. When you plan on the dogs, also know what you know. All right? What you know. You have to understand that these guys are not safe. You have to know that. So many of the epistles deal with false teachers and how to identify them. Do you know what their marks are? Do you know what they look like? We spent almost a year in Jude. Or maybe it was a year in Jude. Most of that book is on identifying false teachers. Do you know it? Can you spot it? That's what we were warned about, first of all, the dogs. We talked a lot about that. But our job is to plan on them. And if you're planning on them, you're ready, right? You're ready. That's what we need to be. Second thing is beware of the evil workers. Again, plan on them. Evil workers. This is the one we started rushing a little bit last week. I've got to rush a little bit now. But uh, this is uh, worthless ones. Worthless ones. Their works are worthless. Oh, yeah, they look busy. They're workers, right? I mean, don't we want workers? We want lots of workers. Everybody should be working. We we push that. Everybody active. We should like that. Some people come in here and they're like a little whirlwind of activity. They're doing a thousand different things. And you say, wow, that's impressive. They must truly love the Lord. But what if they don't? Can we be deceived by their work? They're so busy doing, doing, doing that sometimes we equate doing with believing. We misassociate those two things. And we think, well, if they're putting all that effort into this, all this time into this, all their expense into this, they're pouring themselves into this work. But what if they don't know Christ? And what if they're not doing it for Christ, but they're doing it for themselves? Their works are worthless. Now, do you know what? It's easy to get caught up in that. It's easy to think because they're so busy, they must be very active in the Lord's ministry. They must love the Lord dearly. I I would say that we ought to plan for that. And we ought to examine their hearts. Do they love the Lord? Are they serving Him or are they serving themselves? That's a test, by the way, that comes up at the very end when we stand before the Lord. Our works are set before him and are tested by fire to see who did you serve? Did you do this according to his will or your will? Did you do it by his direction or your direction? Did you do it by his strength or your strength? Did you do it for his, with his attitude or your attitude? Did you do it for his glory or for your glory? I'll tell you which side burns up. All those works, no matter how many there are, Burn up because they're not done for Christ or in Christ. Think about your own service now. Boy, that gets to the heart of it, doesn't it? Because we we don't want to be those who are serving like crazy and producing worthless stuff. We ought to do it in the name of Christ. Beware, he says, an evil worker is a busy worker. He doesn't know the Lord, but what he's doing is so distracting, you think, boy, this guy is right. So you follow him. That's a danger. You've got to avoid it. You've got to know what they truly know and what they truly believe. We have to be careful about that. Because how wasted ministry gets when it's not done for Christ. That's the word evil, by the way. Evil is worthless. Beware the worthless worker. That's one other beware to do because that could get you off the path in a hurry. That means works are more important than you to you than Christ. May that never be. The third one we saw, which we focused on just in a matter of word or two last time, was the circumcision, the false circumcision. Paul gives a word in verse number 3 as to the true circumcision. There is a right way that they did that in the law code in order to identify themselves as descendants of Abraham and faithful to God's promise. That is not true of the church today by the way. That's not who we are. That's what the Jews practiced. Well the Jews were out there teaching everybody they needed to be circumcised. Alright? Paul called them the false circumcision. He called them mutilators. That's his term. It's a different word than verse number 3. He says, they were mutilators. Everything they touched, they cut up. They tore down. They were destructive. They chopped away. They chopped away. These were the ones that made you think they were very spiritual because of their sacrificial nature. They were They were the ones that, as the uh, disciples learned earlier in, in Christ's ministry, the Pharisees would put on all the makeup of somebody who's mourning in order for you to think, wow, are they really mourning? That's really spiritual, right? It was all makeup. It was all fake. That's a false circumcision. You say, boy, they're impressive. Look at their sacrifice for Christ. It's not a sacrifice for Christ. It was a sacrifice to get your attention. But they went about chopping things, destroying, 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 destroying. That was their work. They tore things up. I I picture this group when Elijah met the Baal worshippers up in uh, Mount Carmel. Remember the story? He says, okay, you guys do your sacrifice and get a hold of your God. Get his attention. And if he answers with fire, then you're the winner. Go first. They were out there all day long, weren't they? And what were their techniques? Cut ourselves up with swords. That would get his attention. And Elijah says, this is great. Let's encourage it. And he's on the sidelines say, yell louder. He's deaf. No, he's on vacation. He's trying to encourage them on because he knew their efforts were worthless. But they were going about Totally sacrificing themselves. It says they cry aloud, they cut themselves at knives and lancets until the blood gushed out. What a sad religion that is. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't require that of you? This would be a messy sanctuary. But that would be a terrible thing. If that was what religion looked like. Paul says, beware of the mutilators. They insert works and even over-the-top rituals. Thinking that their intense devotion will somehow look more spiritual, more pleasing to God. God wants your heart, not your muscles and your, your blood and your, everything you're cutting off and showing sacrifice for him. He wants your heart. He wants your life. He wants your devotion. He's not looking for you to sacrifice. In case you wonder about that, go to books like Zechariah. Go to books like Malachi. Go to books like Isaiah, where God says, you know what, it's better off if you just close those doors and never let anybody in them than for you to carry on with your rituals. I don't like them. That's God's words. These are dangerous, folks. Do you not see it? They're dangerous to us because we see somebody so sacrificial. We don't know their hearts. We don't know if they love the Lord with all their heart, soul, strength, or might. We just see their actions And their actions can deceive us and make us think, that's what sacrifice looks like. And so we go out and do it too. That's not what Christ called you to. Some people are busy in their works and busy in their works. And boy, can that distract you and lead you down the wrong path. Thinking that the works is what impresses the Lord. That is not what he's called for you. Some people go about with false teaching. And they think that they're better than everybody else because of the way they can say it and impress people with their doctrine. They bark it loud enough scare people to death. And people follow after them because they figure, if I don't, I'm in trouble. And false teaching can suck us in just as quickly. These kind of things Paul warns about because when you get distracted by the dogs or the the False workers, the busy guys here, or with the false pretenders, the ones who invest in these over-the-top rituals and stuff to get God's attention. You're not any closer to Christ. You're not any closer to Christ. If it were so, would Paul have commended you to do it? Yes. But guess what he said? That's all rubbish. Because Paul was there once. He once worked like the dog. He scared people to death. He once worked like an evil worker. He invested everything to follow the Lord. Was he over the top in his devotion to the Lord? Oh, yes, he was. And he says, I threw it all in the garbage can because it got me nowhere near to Christ. I just want him. I just want him. And these are the things that Paul writes about as the losses, the detriments. Even what he called the dung along the way. That's why a warning is so important. Do you see it? That's why that's not out of place in your Bible. It's meant to be there. If you're going down the path to know Christ more, which I hope you do, I hope that's your heart's desire. Understand. Plan on it. There are going to be distractions. There are going to be diversions. There are going to be dangers out there to try to stop you from doing it. Understand? Understand? That's what verse 2 is saying. Got to be warned before we move forward. So let's understand, we got to keep on bewaring as we keep on rejoicing. And then we're going to talk next week about becoming. And that's a beautiful thing. I look forward to it. Heavenly Father, help us. Help us with this. Because sometimes, Lord, we 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 love the fact that we can meet in a place like this and We're not worried about things that happen on the outside so much. There are a lot of things in our world that are just not right. But we've met here today to worship you. And that's right. To sing these songs. And that's right. To spend time in your word. And that's right. To go home encouraged and and ready to serve you for the rest of this week. And that's right too. We have good things here. But Lord, we're also in a world full of danger. There's more darkness out there than there is light. It's more false than true. There's more detriments and dangers than what we sometimes are aware of. But I pray, Lord, that you give us eyes that know how to plan on that, to beware, to know ourselves, and to know our Savior, and to know our relationship with Him well, so that we can walk in a dangerous world to the glory of Christ. Work in our hearts today, Lord, and make us aware of these things, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.